All right, Ash, Ash Dykes, welcome to Boardman Podcast. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Welcome, mate. I'm going to dive straight in and just ask <laughs> straight for the question. Straight questions. in. <laughs> why? Why do you do what you do? Yeah. And how did you? How did you start? Oh, wow. How long do you want the answer? How short <sighs> do you want the answer to be? I can. I can go on. Um, <sighs> 16, 17, age. I was in high school, and from high school, I then went to college. It was college where I was doing an outdoor education course. And this was all in, in Wales on the coast, you know, Wales, uh, a small town called Old Colwyn, no one really knows of. And in that course, I realized I was a kinesthetic learner, learned through hands-on practical experience rather than being sat in the classroom and sort of looking at the teacher write shit down on the board. I just didn't learn that way. I needed to, you know. So what's that? You just pick things up by physical? Yeah, by okay. trying things. Just visuals and Yeah, yeah, yeah making practical. mistakes, learning from that, trying never to make the same mistake twice and just go from there. Um, but it was only on that college course because there was a lot of sort of physical attributes that you needed that I realized this. And then all of the rest of the students were sort of going on to the military after that or going on to university. And I was completely lost. I had no idea. Um, I know I was working in a fish and chip shop. I was working as a waiter. And then I moved and became a lifeguard, just sort of saving up the money. But I knew from that age um, that I wanted to, to travel and sort of grow and learn and develop myself through different experiences I would have traveling. But that was a lot easier said than done. My parents weren't going to give me money and say, oh, have fun. I needed to work like 240 hours a month. I bought myself a little bicycle. I cycled to and from work every day. And whilst sort of the rest of the students were in the military or in university, I was just lifeguarding, eventually raised the money and, and set off. And that's when things really started to sort of get interesting from then on. Lots of illegal adventures, dangerous, fucking wow. wrecks. How old are you now? I'm 32 now. Right, okay. Yeah, you, don't, yeah. you don't look that old. You've, you've done a lot for, uh, I like that. That's for your age. <laughs> in like chronolog chronological uh, you know, order, like what yeah. were the sort of three or four, obviously we know about some of them, like with yes. China and the ones that have been like publicised. What are like the ones that stick in your mind, like the ones that like people would understand what you're about and what you do? Uh, I would say it's the latest three world records um, were the most known. That okay. was sort of the first person to walk solo and unsupported across Mongolia. Wow. Uh, 1,500 miles, and it took 78 days to complete. The next was Madagascar, 1,600 miles, 155 days to complete. Uh, that journey was intense, and I was sort of held up at gunpoint by the military. I contracted the deadliest strain of malaria. I was sort of machete in hand, hacking through the jungle, hunting, gathering. Um, I had this is all in Madagascar? Bandits, all oh. Madagascar, <laughs> yeah. So those stories kind of went out there. But the most recent one, I'd say the biggest, was it was a Nat Geo uh, show, it was a Guinness World Record. Um, it obviously pulled me onto the Joe Rogan podcast, and that was a 4,000-mile journey following the course of the Yangtze River, one of the largest rivers in the world, and it took me 352 days to complete. Wow. wow. I mean, where... That one was intense. Sorry. I was going to say, you, you say uh, unsupported, so that means, like, there's nobody with you, but do yeah. you have to, like, get in touch with the government and, and the country's association to, yeah. to be like, right, I'm going to be doing this. You did. So I'm going to be by myself, sort of thing. So. Yeah, you did with, with China. So China wasn't a solo and unsupported. That was just a legitimate you have to complete this by any means possible, but you have to walk it. So I had to carry a, a tracking device that sets off like a, right. be a beacon every five minutes, 24-7 for the full 352 days. Mm -hmm. And then it took Guinness Book of Records, I think two and a half, three months, because they were going through every little yellow beacon to make sure I didn't jump on the back end of a bicycle, <laughs> even down to the river crossing. So if I needed to get to the other side of it, like a tributary, You're going through the river. I would need to not use the flow of the river, otherwise I could be disqualified. Wow. So if I did accidentally use the flow of the river, I would need to walk back on myself a couple ah. of hundred meters and then continue. So, so just to get them in order, the first one, right, yeah. um, it's early in the morning, but it's 78, so 1,500, so you did 200 miles a day, is that right? Um, no, that was, what was that? That was 1,500 miles, 78 days to complete. Sorry, I'm doing the maths wrong. Two, uh, 10 would be 75, so 20, 20 miles a day. It was probably averaging about 20 miles a day, yeah. What, by, by, what, by what form? Walking. Oh, so you walked a whole marathon every single day? Pretty much. For 78 days? And not only that, because it was so long and unsupported, I was pulling a trailer that weighed 18 stone, 120 kilograms behind me, carrying everything that I needed to survive. Because wow. you're right with, the, with what you said. When I say unsupported, I don't mean, because I know that there's a lot of people that do this. They say unsupported and they've got a van following like a certain distance from them. They've got like a media team. <laughs> yeah, none of that. My insurance, I probably, I'm not allowed to say this, it was semi-illegal. My insurance was invalid. 
Uh, that expedition, I'll be brutally honest, cost me no more than five grand. I had no money. I was a Muay Thai fighter, scuba diving instructor in Thailand. I moved back to Wales to pursue Mongolia, but I had to move in with my parents. Uh, I didn't have any money for a gym membership. So my uncle dropped me off a tractor tire and all of the training for that legitimate world record was done in my back garden. So when I went out there, I couldn't afford no fucking helicopter evacuation. The last guy who had attempted was a sort of soldier, a desert explorer. He failed on all three occasions. That's quite good because that would have raised your awareness to not make any mistakes or not. Fully. You you can't, your your awareness would, yeah. Yeah, it put me off at first. I remember like looking into this guy, you know, and I was just, as I said, living on an island, you know, I was 22 years of age. This guy was nails, you know, he was hardcore. He'd crossed the Sahara before now. And I thought, what chance do I have? Yeah. And so I, I did genuinely start looking at a safer country to hike across at first. So that's 78, so 20, so doing a marathon every single day for 78 days, like uh, we see a lot of, you know, David Goggins. Yeah. What would it be like comparative to what he's doing? Um, I would say, I would say you've got two different ways to put it. Yes, you've got the, the running and you've got the pain that comes with that. You know, you've got the blisters, you've got the chafing, you've got the toenails that do fall off. Yeah. Um, but the difference between what I do and what he does, correct me if I'm wrong, but I guess at the end of his marathon, he gets to go home. He gets maybe shelter. He gets to have a shower. He gets to, whereas I'm out there fully. I have to, um, avoid wolves that stalk me. I have to address my, my blisters during sort of you, you being hit by snow blizzards in the Altai mountains or sandstorms in the desert. And it's relentless. So this was to break it down three weeks over the Altai mountains where it's minus 15 degrees Celsius, it's over 3,000 meters altitude and there are wolves and snow blizzards. Then you break into the Gobi Desert and that is five weeks solo walking through the Gobi Desert, wow. relying on wells and hoping that they're not dry or locked where they, whereby you can get water from that. And then another Jeez. three weeks through the Mongolian steppe. And you're camping and preparing your own food you and everything. You've got a tent with you yeah. and you've got ration packs with you. You've got everything in the trailer enough to survive and that's, that's what made yeah, it. Yeah, that's incredible. You've, you've never been to these places before, so you're having to like, yeah, set up camp, but find the best spot for, yeah. for you to think, right, this is going to be the safest, yeah, safest for option sure. for me. I yeah. want to know more about each experience, but why, why, are you, why, why are you doing this? What's, what's, what's your like one drive for doing this? Is it just pure excitement or is it something else? Like, what is it? Yeah, I would say, I would say it's curiosity. For the world? For the world and for myself. Yeah. Right. Because again, when I was younger, I kind of knew that as guys, we need to face adversity. I think people in general, they, they, they mold and they grow and, and they develop through facing hard times, difficult times. They overcome that and then life doesn't hit you as hard. And so I kind of realized that as a young age, but I also realized that life goes by fast. Even at the age of 16, 17, I was realizing like, I need to make the most of this one life that I've got. It's incredibly smart, man, to be like that. Yeah, that at, mindset, that age, at that age, right? Yeah. I think it was, uh, I yeah. was onto something and I didn't quite know what because, yeah, there was a lot of sort of foolishness behind it as well, foolhardiness, you know, recklessness. But I kind of wanted to get out there, grow, develop myself, throw myself into either embarrassing situations, see how I react, dangerous situations, see how I overcome them. Um, but also that curiosity and love for the world. I love meeting new people. I love having conversations. I love learning about different sort of cultures and traditions. And I think this tied in all together, it brings on these sort of missions and expeditions that I, that I do. Just go out and explore. You must yeah. have had like a really, I don't know what your day to day, but I can't imagine you're walking every day 20 miles and on Instagram and everything. Like you must have had a really great mental stability to kind of, yeah. you know, take you on those journeys. And you, like you said, you're very much on your own. Yeah. Like did, did that, was that, did that help your mental like stability or did it, did it trigger something else new that, that wasn't there before? Like what did it do mm. for you? Yeah, it's mentally? a good question. Yeah. Th- I'd say there's pros and cons with that, with sort of being on. Cause you know what they said, thinking too much is also a bad thing. You yeah, know? Right? exactly. Yeah. And with, so before Mongolia, with all of the previous adventures, I wasn't on any social media. So I was just doing it for the pure love and the passion. Uh, it was only when I, I figured, cause I didn't know Mongolia was a world record at first. It was only when I figured about four months into planning that it was a world record. I, I was kind of like, huh. You know, maybe I can make something of this. Maybe this could be a potential career if I, because there's not many firsts left in the world, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought, if I'm going to be doing that, I need to sort of look more on the business side now, kind of tie in the adventure with the mm-hmm. uh, entrepreneurship. Yeah. And 
I was then looking at social media. And, but with Mongolia, yeah, you're right, there was no signal. I wasn't on my, my phone until I got to a city, which could be two weeks before you get to a city. What? And then you're only there for like a day and then you sort of, you're on social media or you're not, it depends. Because I wasn't really sharing. I didn't really know yeah. what to do, you know, how to, how to share the, the journey. But then, you know, you've got the pros of it, like the Yangtze where you're fully connected in China. There's better signal there in the wilderness and the mountains right. than there is in North Wales, you know, so yeah. you're fully connected. What do you prefer? Um, because obviously, you know, I'd love to disappear for a flipping month or two and just completely go off yeah. social media. Did, did you prefer having that connection to people or did you just go, do you know what? It's just me. Yeah, oh, yeah I'm so in the middle. Right. I'm so in the middle. You I would both. Say, yeah, I, I really enjoy sort of cutting off all social media because you can't avoid it nowadays mm-hmm. and just sort of being out there. I think I went over eight days without seeing a single person as well. So it wasn't the fact that I was off social media. I was also not seeing any other human being, yeah. you know? Any human interaction. Any, yeah. And so that's, wow. that's weird. And of course, I love that human interaction. So it made it special that mm-hmm. when I did come across my first person after eight days, you know, it was like, wow, and I couldn't stop talking. That's they couldn't crazy. understand because of the language barrier, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but there were also pros as to being on social media whereby I felt like it wasn't just me having the experience on my own. It's kind of like I was sharing the experience, you know, sharing these stories and photos and videos. And, and off the back of that came lots of opportunities and, and benefits. Um, one of them being malaria, which I'm sure will we'll come onto that story where I'll share that then. I want to talk about your, your family and how like you've had no interaction with them mm. on, on your expedition. So yeah. how did you find, was there a suffering in that where you were like, right, I'm missing my family. I'm missing, you know, companionship. I mm. want to get in touch with the people that, you know, love me and, and worry and are worried yeah. about me. So yeah. was there anything that, that made you feel like, right, okay, I'm going to get to the next checkpoint and then touch base or there was just no contact back home? No, there was, there was contact. I would always <clears throat> try to reach out where I could. Yeah, Mongolia was the hardest because there was barely any signal. Mm-hmm. Madagascar was a little bit better and then China was better again. And you're right, it was sometimes when I was out in the wild, you know, just feeling vulnerable as shit. You avoided bears. You've mm-hmm. been stalked by wolves for two days. And I remember breaking out of that and, and waving goodbye to a videographer friend who had joined me. And I was back to being alone, having faced all of that, you know, still feeling vulnerable, still out in the wild. And when I started thinking about my family and friends, it's strange because I think a lot of people think it's the big experiences and, and big things that you do now that create the strongest memories. But when I was out there in the mountains, it was the, the simplest of things. Mm-hmm. It was the sake of being just in a household with my family, even though even if we're not all talking, we're just doing our own thing. We're warm, we've got shelter. Just we've home got comforts, yeah. Home comforts, everyone's safe, everyone's there. Mm-hmm. And there's that, there's that sort of warmth feeling that hits you when you're out in the wild and you realize, wow, it's crazy that they're the, they're the memories that you think about the most mm-hmm. rather than doing the world's highest bungee jump or going to this high kudos event or it's not that. It, and so I, I get, kind of get what people mean when you're on your deathbed. It's not sort of the money that you made or the career that you achieved. Yeah. It's those simple things. Yeah. And, and many times I did face you know, near death experience they, they say rings like, true they say it's like not when you're about to die you don't remember the early nights that you had you know <laughs> yeah. it's like all the crazy things you did yeah so yeah. just so uh, that was the first one then the, the the second one you you contracted malaria right yeah right but were you taking the malaria tablets yes okay yeah so this is a funny this is a, a weird story how this happened so it's a five-month journey and only one month into the five-month journey uh, we rocked up to a community in the south of Madagascar that actually was suffering with the bubonic plague, wow. this ancient disease. And I was warned that there, are, there is still the plague in, in Madagascar. So as we approached, um, they said they were very hospitable, but there was this really low, eerie energy about the community. And they'd recently lost a few relatives to the plague. So they said, stay in the tent, we'll bring food to you and water. Um, because there was lots of sort of animals around and fleas and the plague. And, and was so that sanitised, like the stuff that they're bringing you? No, no, it's, no, it's okay. just a small sort of Shit. very remote community uh, in the middle of sort of South Madagascar. God. And so we stayed in our tent. We were exhausted, you know, big day. I think it was that day that we had to scramble away from a bushfire, literally had to run. So we just wanted to get our head down and, and collapse. And they brought over this bowl of food and it was rice and eel, but the eel smell a little bit funky. Oh. 
but, yeah, we weren't, but we weren't sure. I had eaten eel okay. before, yeah. But this one, <laughs> it didn't smell the best. Yeah, but me well. and my guides, we were fucking hungry. We were eating that damn food. And so we 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 got stuck in. And then... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and and the eel, that's like my <laughs> word. It's not even the fact yeah. it's just eel. He said it didn't even look good. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Didn't even smell good. Yeah, that's that was like it. Oh, yeah. So we ate that. And the next day, all, th- <laughs> all three of us were, were suffering. We had severe diarrhea. Yeah. And so I think the ma- malaria pills that we were taking... Oh, okay. Straight, pretty much, yeah. yeah. So we didn't have the full dose. Ah, protecting so us. the malaria tablets came out in the diarrhea, and then yeah, that's how pretty, you can, yeah. Okay, right. And then I think malaria got a hold of me. Um, it was pure unluck because the chances are just crazy. Got a hold of me, and for the next four or five days, I was actually walking with malaria, with falciparum. There's there's four different strains of malaria. You've got three which are weaker strains, but they can remain dormant in your system like you've got it forever. But you've got the deadliest called falciparum. Um, and it usually kills you within 24 hours. No way. But it's the only one that you can completely eradicate out of your system. Right. So I put the positive spin like, yes, unfortunately, I got the deadliest, but it's out of my system for right. me. And I did just about, I don't know how, I think lasting five days was just because my body was so used to sort of pushing itself and I still had the anti-malaria pills. There was still some dose in there protecting right. me. Okay. And by the time I made it to a community, it had overland transport. They sort of took me to um, a city and the doctor came out. At this point, I was delusional, sort of hallucinating. I just collapsed on the bed, just saw a head spinning above me. It was the doctors taking my blood and they came back and, and they said, if you were three hours later, you would have slipped into a coma and wow. potentially died. Did any of your guides have malaria as well? Yeah, but- and one of the guides called me, his name is me, it always got confusing, me and me. Um, he, he had the, the, the malaria that remains dormant in his system. Right. So every few years, it triggers in him. Got it. Wow. What does it do to him? I think it just feels like severe flu right. is how he explained it. How's it passed on the malaria to him? Mosquitoes. So I was oh, reading that like shit. mosquitoes, I remember when I, I lived in Bali for a year. Yeah. And um, I remember everybody was scared of dengue fever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there's yeah. no dengue, some people call it dengue, but there's no vaccine for it, right? There's no yeah. sort of, and apparently they call it like the bone breaker disease and the second time you get yes. it, it can kill you. So I started reading up on mosquitoes and apparently they kill a million people a year. So like the, and it's mainly malaria. It's like oh, the biggest killer in the world. Yeah, yeah I, I, I've heard think. about that. Mosquitoes yeah. are the biggest killer in the world. Yeah. You think yeah. it's all this crazy as mosquitoes? Yeah, because yeah. they did. It wasn't that video as well in Africa. Like, what do you think the most dangerous thing is? In exactly. Africa? And it was like naming hippo, yeah. B- yeah. buffalo, lion, tiger, yeah. and then it fucking came out as mosquitoes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, kills the most. Just the sort of like adversity, like the peak and the trough of all this, ad- like you know, the highs and the lows of what you have. Like, does it prepare you in a much better way for normal, like, emotional life? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does, for sure. Uh, I think through the different sort of adversities that I've faced, I've come back here and things that hit me that seemed like a big deal at the time, yeah. I'm able to just sort of disappear yeah. in my mind yeah. to the jungles of Madagascar, yeah. where I've got spider bites that have infected, where I'm pulling seven leeches off my body, flicking them out the tent, ready for a night's sleep. I'm kind of like, yeah, this isn't so bad. So yeah, not, there. you've got it's a really not. good light to you and, and I can see you're, 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 you appreciate the moments of being around people, which yeah. is nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people, you can see that from people straight mm, away whether yeah, they enjoy that yeah. or not. So yeah. on a practical level, like if you've got mental things going on, right, in your head, yeah. it's not this sort of like deep underlying thing that you know what you've like achieved. It's more the fact that you're remembering these pictures of places you've been and that's such a more visceral, powerful experience than whatever the negative emotion is that you're experiencing. Is that what it is? Yeah, it is. Okay, yeah. that's, that's interesting. We need more of those experiences then. And it's almost like... You need one the, of those experiences, the, not more. <laughs> <laughs> can you give us one? Can, can you prepare... Can you give us something to do after this, Ash? Like something that's not like... This, what can you do? Luxury. Well, you're, you're into like you. drinking flat whites yeah. and, and, and green juices. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There you go. Nailed it, nailed it. I was this gonna... poor guy on that's done all this stuff and we're here like with ginger shots with a bit of, <laughs> bit of honey in them and all this stuff. Like, what would you like, Ash? <laughs> For like a skinny latte yeah. at the coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> through near-death experiences yeah. and we can't even buy no, I, I, I think I think I'm I think I'm getting close. I'm sitting at that point where I'm traveling a lot on my own. And I'm at that point yeah. where I'm like, right, I'm just gonna do something like mm. completely outside of my comfort zone and just completely like, you know, there's not in the norm of yeah. my own sort of space. Yeah. But it's nice having you here knowing that that's had a positive impact on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you do your martial arts. I'd say boxing. I come from a Muay Thai boxing. I'd fight the, the locals in Thailand yeah. for money to pay rent. And that, I think, really... Wait there, you were fighting with the... I saw one of the fights. Oh, I was like, really? Really? Cool. Yeah. 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 Well, that was pretty cool. I loved it. When yeah. was that? Was that before the last three? Well, yeah, it was. Okay. Yeah. 
And so that almost helped me to prepare mentally for Mongolia because yeah. I was yeah. like, if I can't beat this Thai guy, fuck those wolves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like, I need to, I need to be... Mate, I'm trying to get Jane James to start fighting, but they just... Well, actually, keep... no, Muay Thai is what I've like, been trained in. That's my background. These guys <laughs> nice. are boxing. So the last couple of years, I've been moving over to, to boxing. Got you. My, my love is Muay Thai for sure. Yeah, right. And yeah. I saw you, you know, I saw one of your fights. It was very, very good. Yeah. Are you doing yeah. any more or no? Uh, I'm not. I do go to Thailand next week. Okay. Actually, so I'll be getting in more to the scuba dive and the Muay Thai. Okay. Go to cool. uh, AKA Thailand. Mike Swick over there. So okay. he's got a great setup there. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can't wait for that. Did you have any near death experiences with any other like, animals? You talked about wolves and, and, and being hunted by bears and all this yeah. stuff. And like, you know, were there any like specific moments that you thought, shit, like there's actually a wolf chasing me? And yeah, was that. Yeah, there, yeah, there were many. Um, there was a bear, a bear one where we woke up and there were fresh bear prints in the morning right on the track that we were following. Um, and so that was scary because we kind of went out there with that sort of Western mentality of you leave the bears alone and the bears will leave you alone. Yeah. No, they fucking won't. They will eat you if they're hungry. They're tracking wow. scents. Yeah, know, they're, they're, they're predators and they're the best at it. And I think if there's any animal that I fear the most, it's definitely the bear. I was going to say, I would be scared of a bear you more You can't than do it. With its yeah. fur, like what? Yeah. You're yeah. not going to do anything. Especially and, the size of their paws. Yeah, right. and some of these locals, we've seen the revenant. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fuck that. It. Some of the locals would present me with a with a knife, and I'm like, "Look, thank you." <laughs> yeah. What gonna do? But what's this going to do to yeah. a bear? Like a little shank. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it was more that the, the stories from the locals that scared me the most. Because I said, "Oh, you know, I've got a whistle. I'll be loud to make sure that they're aware that I'm coming and they'll disappear." Because yeah. they you do usually attack if they're like. Do you have to attack as well when they? Like, with, have you been with, taught that? Um, with those, you can play. You can't play dead. Yeah. It's the black bears that I've you've got to that. fight yeah, for your you, life. You've got, wow. you've got to play dead, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like but they're the grizz- just still, you know, fucking you over, like, scratching you yeah, up. Yeah, if like, you can, you about. with the adrenaline, it's if you can... If Ash, you can it's, so, it's, 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 it's mind-boggling because it's so interesting, but at the same time, it's like, I, I imagine those locals, you turning up, you know, yeah. You're, 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 you're a white boy that looks completely Western, big smile, like, hey, I'm going to go walk in the jungle. <laughs> right. They must have just thought, what, like, this guy's gone. Yeah. They must have just thought, that's it. It was He's, wild. We're going bo- to find his body next week or something crazy. Yeah. yeah. And that but actually like, went on in my mind as well. I yeah. almost lost my life in the Gobi Desert and I was walking past uh, camel carcasses thinking, if I, can, if, I, oh, yeah. if I die out here in the Gobi, I wonder how long it'll be and I wonder who comes across. So who's killed the, what's killed the camels? Or is it just... Just dehydration. <laughs> You're walking past the... <laughs> <laughs> and the <a> camel's gone. <laughs> yeah, and it's gone. I'm in the desert, like, oh You'll my You remember God. that in your deathbed, yeah. man, like walking through the dead camels. And the camel's good for, like, rehydrating <laughs> itself as yeah. well. Yeah. So yeah. If a camel can't survive, that's the Right, you, I know. And the, and the Gobi sort of keeps expanding as well. So it's getting harder. Uh, even like the wildebeest in Africa is getting harder for them to sort of hydrate themselves because they it's expanding. Yeah. They're going longer distance ever than ever before yeah, without crazy. water. Um, but with that Gobi Desert desert trip, I, I, I mapped confirmed water sources and unconfirmed water source. And after five weeks of hiking, um, I, was, I was at this point really dehydrated. I was slowly becoming more sort of delirious. I could feel my, my organs almost drying up. And then I came across a well which was dry and it was unconfirmed. It was at that point I had drunk more water than anticipated. I was kind of like, oh, fuck. And I had four more days to the next community to get water. So I had to ration the last remaining dribbles of water that I had on my trailer and I was in absolute agony. And it was at that point, I was the first near death that I thought, if I don't keep getting up from out of my trailer because I was trying to hide from the sun, I'm going to die out here in the in the desert. And it was that sort of realisation, almost shock of capture, where at first I was feeling sorry for myself. I was thinking of my family and my friends. And then I realised uh, I had missed the point of backup because my logistics manager was in the capital. So I'd need to text him and then allow at least three to four days for him to get to me. And then another two days to get me out. And I didn't believe I could survive six days. So my only option was to walk out of that scenario. Because, um, I, like I said, invalid insurance didn't have the helicopter pickup, none of that. Mm. Did you have any moments where, like that, you just burst down into tears and just thought, what the fuck am I doing? It was almost And you, like, and you actually stopped. Because, you know, there's one thing where you go, right, I've got to keep going to survive. But at the same time, you, you must have just thought, you know what, I'm just going to stop here and just cry my eyes out. You know, it was, yeah, I know what you mean. It was almost like I didn't even have the energy to do that. Right. It was almost like I was really sort of frustrated, but then I, I could feel myself getting worked up and angry and I could almost feel my body getting hotter. 
So I had to be so in tune with my body because every... How much did you not drink to get to that point, right? Because let's go back to us uh, idiots for a sec. Like, if I don't have a certain amount of water a day, I'm like, oh, I'm dehydrated. Yeah. And you can feel like you feel a bit shit. Yeah. You were panicking last night. You said I need water, I need water. Yeah, no, I did need water because I didn't drink much water in the day. So (laughs) you do, and you can feel like people get dehydration and it's not great. You go to hospital and they say, look, you just need water on IV. Yeah. But what level did you go to? Because you said the last four days you had like this much water. So it's a really, really tiny amount. What can the body get away with? Well, they, they do say you can survive, what is it, three days without mm-hmm. water? Yeah. But I think that that's in a normal environment. I don't think that's in the Gobi whilst pulling 120 kilograms. Yeah. And so it was almost this, I felt very desperate. It was almost painful. It was a sense of being desperate, the pain and the panic. It was a case of holy shit because there's a time limit. It was almost like if you're scuba diving in a cave and then you're lost and then re- and you're just watching your oh, oxygen yeah. tank empty right. yeah. and you're like, I've got five minutes left. It was almost yeah. like that, but in an extended version. Yeah. And then I really had to try not to panic. I then had to stop thinking about my family and fucking feeling sorry for myself. And I worked that I only have one option. And I'm a big believer of sort of, like, you know, visualization. I can see myself getting here if I apply this method. But four days, I just couldn't, I couldn't see anything. Yeah. So what I did is I broke it down into 100 meters. So I, I, could, I pictured like a, I visualized a feature point 100, 200 meters away. Just small steps. Small yeah. steps would get to that. And then I would hide under my trailer for five minutes. And then after five minutes, because normally I was hiding for an hour and it was that stuff that would have killed me because I would have gone longer without water. Um, you know, and then I would take a bit of this water, which was now hot water. So it wasn't, you know, but it didn't matter. I would take this hot water. And about all you want to do is just down it. Yeah, I just wanted to collapse. And yeah, and I just wanted to down it. And it wasn't even that appetizing either because it was hot. Everything around me was hot. Everything right. was melting. And I was just like, this is awful. But by breaking it down 100 meters in five minutes, I just about made it to it. So that was, wow. your, that was your sort of flight and fight or flight yeah. moment where yeah. you're thinking, right, these little checkpoints yeah. can allow you to, to think, right, this is positive steps now. I'm, yeah. I'm getting to getting out of this. Yeah. It's incredibly calculated yeah. as a human what you like, what you actually thought about it because you know we've had load we've had loads of people on this podcast we've mm. had the strongest people in the world we've had Eddie Hall and we you know we we like to consider ourselves you know being man as in the strength of going to the gym and lifting weights and what yeah. you've done is like a completely different completely different, different, yeah. completely different. Survival it's survival yeah. it's yeah. calculated it's it's maths it's like the the positioning yeah. of what you could do but you also got to be strong mentally yeah. physically emotionally like mm. it's it's um it's pretty it's, incredible yeah man. it's overwhelming like, and it's all of this sort of stuff that I feared at the beginning, especially Mongolia was my first big, big trip. Yes, I'd done plenty of sort of reckless trips before that, but yeah. Mongolia was the one where I'd be alone. Again, a soldier had attempted three times and I was kind of like, I don't know what it's going to be like to face wolves. I don't know what I'm going to be like in isolation or mm-hmm. sand blizzards or dehydration. And I had nightmares after nightmares, but I, I do know. believe it comes with, I think fear comes as a package deal with doubt, right? Mm-hmm. I think you often fear something you're, not sure that you can overcome or, or maybe you don't simply understand it. Whereas the way to eradicate doubt is by experience. And that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to experience all of these little adventures. So if I was to attempt Mongolia without the previous stuff, I would have definitely died. And then same again, if I attempted Yangtze without Mongolia or Madagascar experience, it wouldn't have been done. Wow. I think it was building up those track habits, climbing that ladder with whatever we do with any career, we're always sort of climbing that ladder, starting from the bottom and getting your body used to it mentally and physically. So that when my body then faced malaria, at first I thought it was dehydration because I didn't know what I contracted, Mm. but it was like my body had been here before. And so maybe that's why it was able to last five days. Strong enough to, yeah. Yeah, because it was kind of like, we know what to do here, you know. So the third one was, um, yeah, where was it actually? Was the Yangtze River in China. Okay. So it was the third longest river in the world after the Nile and the Amazon. Okay. Um, and how far is it? How long did you do? <laughs> it's 4,000 miles. What did you do? How, how did you traverse it? Again, hiking. hiking. 4,000 miles? 4,000 miles walking. And how long did it take you? That's not like from here to America. So you could walk over the Atlantic, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, so that was, so you've got the source of the Yangtze uh, in the Tibetan Plateau at 5,100 metres, which is similar to Mount Everest Base Camp. Sounds great, Tibetan Plateau. Yeah, it was great up there, stunning, really wild. If you want to know what the world looked like thousands of years ago, I reckon Tibet 
and Mongolia are those places. Wow. Okay. Yeah, just like no one for days, you know? Really? Yeah. You can actually go there and there's just been nobody there? No one. No that, one must there. Been wow. so, that must have been so been good. Like, yeah. The altitude must have really affected you as well. The altitude, yeah, fucked everyone up. Yeah. Um, just breathing we, less. Yeah. Less yeah, yeah. oxygen. We lost four members before we even got to the start point. Um, wow. They had to abandon the trip. Altitude sickness, fear of wildlife, injury. Mm-hmm. And then after, how long was it? I'm sure it was after the first month or two, maybe it was six weeks, I'd lost 10 members of the 16 different members that joined me at different areas. My There's UK. just two left now. You lost them to, to death or to lost them no, to No, I didn't. Yeah, sorry. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. And if they stayed with me, they could have potentially died. died yeah. Right. Wow. Um, but I bought a, a Tibetan guy who was good at altitude and I brought him with me, especially for the source, because if I got altitude sickness, I've got someone to get me off the mountains. He got altitude sickness. <laughs> I had to get him off the mountains. Wow. And then my film crew left and they've ditched this donkey with us. So we've got this donkey. We decided to put our rucksacks onto the donkey. We're walking two and a half weeks once my guide had recovered with altitude sickness with this donkey sort of through the um, wilderness of, of Tibet pulled in by the police five different occasions because it was like, what the fuck are you doing here? Mm. And this is where it took critical planning. This took two years to plan. We needed, I don't know if I should say all of this, but we needed 14 different signed and stamped documents. They needed to to make me temporary doctor for a year. Uh, I needed to become ambassador for one of the organizations, which then granted me access to the the Three Sources National Park. We then worked with the government to be able to carry all of this satellite technology because um, I was carrying literal vegan systems that I would point to the sky and then boom, I've got internet and yeah. satellite phone, which is illegal, but the government approved it. Right. And so these Tibetan officers would, would pull us in, you know, leave the horse in the tent there, rock up at three, four o'clock in the morning, just because that's how long it would take for them to get to us from when a local had reported us to the police. And they would drive us five, six hours back to their sort of government officers and question us. And we'd have these documents and they'd be like, why have you got satellite? What are you doing here? Yeah. Some and sort it was, of spy or something. Yeah. And yeah. the first time I was pulled in, I remember they threatened me with deportation. I was like, you, you've got, after two years planning, yeah. and already they're like, we're going to deport you. And it's like, it's day number three. I still yeah. got, you know, three. Did someone prepare you for that and say you will be stopped? Or, or, yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah. A bit too much. My parents were really worried with this one. Because you do hear of people just go missing, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How um, many of you were there then? So there was... It was, so it was just me attempting the record. Right. And so as part of that, we were filming for National Geographic. So I needed film crew to fly in at different locations. Right. So at the beginning, there was four of us, but we didn't make it to the source. Um, and so I had to go back to a nearby city. The guys recovered and I got a stronger team sent out. And then there was three of us with a donkey. We walked for two and a half weeks and then there were different people along the first sort of six weeks that joined. Um, but they would be flying in and they were coming straight up to altitude. They weren't sort of working themselves up. Right. So they'd be strapped to this big tent, in uh, big tank, oxygen tank in hospital. It's a case of, look, you need to, you need to so, go home. So how high, what was the altitude? Do you know what it was in feet or meters? Uh, it was just over 5,100 meters, which is over oh. 15,000 feet. Right, okay, so we're not in comparative now to a ski slope, right, which is a few thousand. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's really high. Obviously, lack of oxygen there is, is a lot, and you're yeah. doing a lot of exercise as well. Were you the yeah. only one that did it as well? Were you the only one that completed that? Yeah. yeah. So you, you, would you take oxygen when you were there, or would you take anti-elevation um, tablets? No, I, I would have if I needed to, yeah. but I felt my body was just adjusting quite nicely because okay. I was sort of organically going you, higher and higher say, yeah. rather yeah. than these guys who would fly from Beijing you know, it's straight there. Starting the top, yeah, yeah. Done, you're done. Wow. So Mate, a, you've walked four days. Four That's just incredible. <laughs> it was crazy, And it took you yeah. 300, how many days? It took 352, but... So it took you a year. I could have done it a lot quicker. Right. With this, it was a lot bigger news in China than it was. In okay. the, so I was doing book signings. I was doing presentations. I was working with brands. Um, we launched, you know, Jet Li, the martial artist. Yeah. yeah. We launched his clothing range, uh, co-branded range with Adidas and GQ. Oh, wow. So it was lots of these events. So if you were to get rid of that, I would have smashed it a lot yeah. quicker. Than I love Jet Li. So, so cool. Yeah. And so, if, so you had your, was, was that when your book was coming out at the same time? Or yeah. Was it, yeah. Uh, that was a year or two after. That was 
a year into it being translated into Mandarin. Yeah. So I was signing the, the Mandarin versions wow. going across the country, which was really cool. Um, journalists there, different cities that I would come up to, they'd yeah. be really throwing events and making me feel welcome. And just for everyone watching, listen, where, your book's available everywhere? Was, was it called? Yeah, it's available Mission Possible. Mission Impossible. Mission Possible. Mission Possible. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Just because everyone was saying, especially Mongolia, it's not, it's not possible. Yeah. Because, you know, if I'm... If you're on a boat or if you're in a car, you know, you, you're saying, right, I've seen Mexico because I, I've driven through nearly all of Mexico. Right. But you're driving pretty quick. Yeah. And yeah. if you're on a boat, you know, you go pretty quick. And it's if you're walking, you're taking everything in at such a different perspective. Yeah. Because you're really seeing it. So not many people would have seen, hardly anybody, well, nobody would have seen Tibet the way that you've seen it. Mm. Which is a really good way to take everything in slowly. Yeah. Key to a lot of things, I think, is doing, try and, we all rush around so quick to try and do it in a slower manner and take that must be amazing. Yeah, it is. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to go back to China because when I first left for travels at age 19, yeah. I went to China. That was the first location. Right. And I'd went, I, I went to Beijing, Shanghai, Hong Kong, and then straight to Southeast Asia. And when I look back at China and how big it is on the map and notice that we just were on the coast, I was like, I've not traveled wow. China. I need to go back and do it. Can I, can I ask you a question about China? Is yeah. It, so I, I have one as well. Uh, yeah, <laughs> probably the same one. Probably the same one. Yeah. So you know, you, I, I've not been to China. Uh, you, you know, you you, uh, <laughs> you you hear you hear a lot in in the media, and and um, you know, I, I don't obviously can't listen to anything that you hear in, in mainstream media. Yeah. But the word is that you know it's a communist-run society or socialism and con communism, mm. and that um, everybody's very much controlled what they do. There's you know CBDCs and central base central bank currencies and lots of control from the government of the of the public did you see that <laughs> i'm joking i'm joking i i yeah just starts so, talking chinese like no it's one of them <laughs> <laughs> i'm just gonna switch my phone it works for the government and uh, <laughs> back there next week <laughs> yeah you do and you don't so when you're actually there so when i was there in 2019 i'll, I'll break it down like this i was there 2019 doing the the yangtze and i loved it it seems that they've got a lot of freedom from what I first saw. They've got their own social media platforms that are performing better than ours. They've got a Baidu search, which is the equivalent to Google. And, okay. you know, there's this strong sense of community. Everyone's doing Tai Chi by the riverside and, you know, yeah. they're doing Kung Fu or they're doing something. And, yeah. you know, even the retired, they look like they're having great fun. It's not like they're in their homes with the fire on watching TV. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. sort of out. And okay. I then realized, wow, this is actually a pleasant place to be. Right. And even my friend, uh, Martin from, from Wales, he fl flew over and he thought there would be this sense of suppression. Yeah. Um, and he's, he, he noticed as well, and he said, it's not actually a bad place at all. Okay. However, I visited again. Uh, I recently... <laughs> However, I went back for the second time, and everyone yeah. was dead. <laughs> I, I filmed my, my latest t TV show I got back three months ago, and that was a six-part, one-hour TV show following the Great Wall of China. And it was 2022, but it was still stuck in COVID times of 2020. And that's yeah. when I saw that actually if the government wants to do something, they can do it, no right. questions asked. Yeah, yeah. And that's when I saw major depression. I saw that there were more lockdown deaths than COVID deaths. Yeah. It was um, yeah. It yeah. was really serious. And that's why, why I then believed like, yeah, to live there, um, yeah. not for me. I love the place, I love the people, but um, just seeing that and, and watching people have no say, no rioting, people trying to escape their, their apartment block, you know, and, yeah. and dying, trying to get out. Because they've barricaded it in. I follow a lot of sort of science stuff on, you know, on, online. Mm. And if you follow anything that's happening in China, because they've, they've recreated the sun and, and they're doing this uh, nuclear fusion experiment, which is one of the best in the world. Oh, okay. And all of the Chinese scientists still, you know, in 2023 are mm. wearing masks. Mm. So my, my theory would be, you know, that, that obviously when you start, like you, sometimes now you'll see a kid on the train or in public, like a young kid with their parents and they'll be wearing a mask still. Mm. Yeah, and you're thinking, well, it's it's probably doing more harm than good, right? We can probably mm. safely say that. So in China, you're like, okay, because they were pushed into it so much, like everybody was. Yeah, are they doing it of their own accord, or is everybody in that room being told to wear a mask? You know. So with the mask, they would actually wear the mask before COVID hit, just because of air pollution. Okay, and so it was much okay. more of a thing there. 
and especially 10 years ago when I first visited in 2019, that's when the pollution was really bad. It's gotten lots better since. Right. But 2010, it was very That is intense. true. Yeah, we've seen that. We've seen that yeah, before. and so lots yeah. of people were sort of yeah. wearing the masks because of that. So I think it's that people have gotten used to it and they're kind of like, well, it prevents me from air pollution and also COVID. So there's more and people doing it yeah. without sure. actually doing their research. It sounds it. like there was, there's positive and negatives. I, 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 I would edge towards like the positives because if, if the government knows what they're doing at least and things are working better like your social media or your whatever it may be mm. like if, if the country's working better great well, have, the, have more control the, you know, in terms of desperation then, then that's, yeah. they don't have a has, say yeah. that's where the, it gets to yeah, the yeah that's it it's really tough for them that's when yeah. you realise that yeah they, no, they don't yeah. have a say they can't so, even riot they can't whereas we here we don't like something we'll take to the streets yeah. Yeah. but that's changing there's anti-riot laws that have been put Is in place really? in the UK yeah. there's anti-riot laws where they can set the decibel level yeah. they can set the people that attend and they can set the time that they take place otherwise mm. they can arrest you well, so that's why they're saying that there is a form of communism coming into, yeah. into England right yeah. so but I think the difference with that I've seen with sort of Chinese social media if you look at this is the positive if you look at what kids look at look on TikTok in the UK or mm-hmm. in America even though it's being banned yeah. um, it's normally like silly stuff yeah. that's just going to take up their time entertainment clips yeah <laughs> if you look at what the kids in China are looking at it's mm. like maths and it physics is. and understanding it, right so that that's the positive the negative right, okay. is that I'm actually getting something built uh, I'm getting some something made in China at the moment. And um, they have these drones that go outside everybody's house and they fly along and they've got speakers on them and they were telling everybody to stay home. Yeah. And I'm like, this is kind of scary, right, that they're, they're, they're using mm-hmm. that. So yeah. you've got, you got both sides. You have, you, yeah. And if you don't see that side and you go as a tourist and you just sort of, the lights and they've got a lot of money there and the food's great and people seem happy and jolly, but then you see it in sort of the lockdown lockdown times and you're kind of like, wow, okay, I know what people mean. And it, it's not just these lockdowns. It goes back in history, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, that was going to be my question on China because I, I had um, have a friend of mine who yeah. went there recently and she said, look, it's, it's, it's completely amazing. It's not what you expect. Yeah. But obviously we've touched on like the political kind of structure side of yeah. the country. Yeah. What's the other side like? Is it, is it fun? Is yeah. it, you know... The other Warm, s- like the the other side, I suppose, of a, of a of a tourist just going there. Yeah, because the thing that freaks me out is all the food and the weird like stuff that they eat and stuff like, oh, like yeah. you know, does it's not weird to them, but it's weird to us. So yeah, it's like, they'll eat anything. It's, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, <clears throat> they do put a lot of, this, but it's funny again. A lot of the videos that tend to go viral, like people eating um, octopus, mm. it, it's mainly in Korea that they right. do that. But because yeah. China's such a large part of Asia, they just say, oh, look at the Chinese eating yeah. the octopus. Mm. So, and it's the same with the dogs, that they eat dogs. There's only one province that eats dog. And that is a, once a year, there's a festival mm. and it's a tiny province. Right. And the rest of the Chinese hate it because the Chinese love dogs. Mm. Not okay. in terms of, in terms yeah. of like having them yeah. as a pet. Mm-hmm. And so the Chinese go crazy at this one province and have tried to overrule this law time and time again. But then the rest of the world are like, Fuck China, yeah. they're eating dogs, and it's like no, it's yeah. a, but it's the it's same small. as India. Like India, the the yeah. national animal there that they don't eat is cow, right? They uh-huh. just like it's, it's like sacred, it's like yeah. the sacred animal. Yeah. Whereas what we, Shakespeare we, said, the world yeah. is a stage. They can make people think whatever they want. Yeah. So yeah. I bet it's just a beautiful country. Yeah. I bet majority of people are really nice. Yeah. But going out there on a night out is fun. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. 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 I bet if we went, we'd love it. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. The nightlife's great, and it's far ahead. They've like, yeah. they've got some really really fucking cool stuff happening out. In That's China. what she yeah. said. She said it's really far. Ahead. Yeah. It's not. It's not behind it. Yeah, no, like the UN didn't. Yeah. The UN just overtake like the US dollar trading and stuff like that. So. I, th- I think probably. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, think in so. terms of technology as well, they're just so much more advanced. Yeah, yeah. with um, just inventions and and, and just trialing <coughs> loads of different things. Yeah. Ash, I have a um, I have a I have a I have a burning question. You've built this yeah. like you know you've built this what I would say a really great brand and image now of what you can do. That's, awesome. that's, Thank that's you, man. not mm. you know considered not possible. Yeah, what is I kind of want to say what's next, but also what's like the one thing now that you go, right, if I had all the preparation for that, that's the one thing I want to do, which is like completely next level up of what you've done. Is, yeah. is there something? There I mean, is. You mentioned the scuba diving and yeah. the whole idea of water and submerging yourself is really interesting to me. But is yeah. there something that you're planning? Is there something 10 years in the future where you, I don't know, I feel like you're just going to walk to the moon or some, some crazy <laughs> shit. Like, is there something that you're planning which is a level up. Yeah, got you. So there, there's nothing right now that I'm planning just because I've got back and we're sort of getting this TV show ready. Mm-hmm. And then once that airs, I want to get straight to the channels and 
you know, present them with new ideas. But there is one. I don't think I'll do it because it takes a lot of a lot of time, a lot of resources, and it's semi-suicidal, um, which wow. I obviously don't want to die. But I think the greatest expedition, the greatest world first, I think, over the, the next 100 years um, would be to walk the entire length of the Congo River. No one's ever done it. It's the most dangerous river in the world. Where's, where's the Congo River? In to? Africa. Right. Yeah, so it's the in heart the of Africa. In the Congo. <laughs> The Congo is brutal. Like, there. is it the whole of Africa? Is it the south? Is it like it's what? central? Okay, so you've got sort of Africa's like that. It's kind of like this big part of central right. Africa. And walk the whole way. The then you've got the river. It's like the fifth longest in the world. Yeah. But um, I think someone's going to do that one day, and whoever does it, that is going without a doubt. That has got to be one of the greatest firsts the, and the most at dangerous least the past as well, decade I think. for sure. Yeah. What, yeah, to talk, talk us through that. Why is it unbelievable? Like amounts of you, uh, the wildlife, dangers. the jungle is so dense. Like I faced jungle in Madagascar that I could only cover two kilometers in a whole fourteen days of walking because the jungle was so dense. I was sort of hacking through the, with the machete. It's going to be way denser in the, in the Congo. Right. And there's like a large part. You've got all of the snakes, the cats, you've got the hippos, you've got diseases that are coming out of the Congo. Often new diseases that are found, new species. You've got cannibals still. With Sean, if you prepare, like you've done these stuff where you've done it completely on your own. Yeah. Did you hear that? Cannibals. What, people just eat people? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I would probably come across new communities that haven't been Never discovered been. yet. Yeah, There's still all these some different tribes that you're going to be seeing as yeah. well. Like, but can't yeah. you do that proper plan, like take a gun and shit like that or not? No. You, you would need security. Right. I was planning that at the same you time I was planning the Yankee. Your guy from uh, Malta, Russ. Russ oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Security guy. Yeah, he's from South Africa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you know, we just saw this guy. Did you, you must have seen him on YouTube. He was, he's, I, I don't, like, he's a YouTuber. Yeah. He went out and he met a tribe that's never seen humans before. Did you see that? that was that my video? <laughs> what a bit. Maybe. No. Yeah, that was the latest one that I posted. <laughs> no, he seemed like this. <laughs> no, he seemed like this like, crazy it's Aussie really guy. Nice. Aussie guy. Aussie, yeah, no. No. No then. Was he, what, did you come up against a new tribe? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so did you have to like see like this really nice white guy did, with short hair? As, Why as did you try? ask him about like, that? You had to like, literally like almost like you know I like come in peace. Yeah. I, you have to climatize yourself with their we, tradition. We, you, no, I, yeah. Well, I want to know about this this, tribe. this tribe. Yeah, yeah. Where, where was it? How many people did you meet? Yeah, they've never seen any humans before. Yeah, that's what I was told through translation by my guide. Um, so we came across uh, the first community that we came across was towards the south of Madagascar right. and they were keeping their distance. They were like far away. They were all looking over the sort of sand dune, but they were keeping the distance. So my guide had to run over to them and gradually they were, they were coming closer. And with that community, maybe not for the older generation, but the younger generation, it was their first time seeing a white person. And so they kept their distance because they, they are taught that, or they're told if they touch a white person, they're going to burst into smoke, into oh flames. Yeah, and they're quite spiritual. Yeah, so if you walk towards them, well, yeah, oh, very superstitious, yeah. yeah. And then further up north, this is where it gets a bit, a bit odd. I was warned about this by my Malagasy logistics manager, but it's one thing seeing it. Um, we could come across a community in the distance. We're in the jungle, the very interior of Madagascar, high on the plateau where it's mountainous jungles. And we can see a community in the distance, which was great. That There's food, there's water, maybe directions as well. But they had also clocked us. So by the time we arrived at that community, they, they had run and they were now hiding in the bush completely. And wow. you could shout out what you're like, they're not, they're not coming out. Yeah. And it was weird because we would come across people along the way that they would spot you they would drop everything, turn around and sprint either wow. back on themselves or even down these cliff faces, roll down, get back up and carry on running. And what uh, like, uh, you know, feel weird? That feels it was super weird. Super weird. Yeah, it was, people running, just running away. Yeah. Running away from, yeah. yeah, and there was this one guy eventually, another community that stayed. He must have been the sheriff of that. And these are like mud huts, you know, these are very, very basic communities. And the, this one that I'm talking about now, it wasn't on the map. Right. So we were sort of walking through. We didn't expect to come across a community at all. And what like, okay, I'm going to sound really white and tourist here, but my, my image in my mind is like Apocalypto where they've got like tattoos and all these like, you know, just mm. really tribe like born in, 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 in that area. Yeah. Is that what people look like or is that um, different? Like I think in the stereotype parts, of, of what yeah. we see on like films and different definitely, things. Definitely, definitely in some areas. Okay. Papua New Guinea for yeah. sure. Amazon, like, yeah. definitely. Madagascar, they, they weren't. 
Um, it takes me back to like the uh, film Ace Ventura, <laughs> you know, when the tribe yeah. meets uh, Jim Carrey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Time. <laughs> but it's like. And his hair like spinning. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the uh, thing out. But, yeah. yeah. No, it was, it was fascinating Incredible. though. Yeah, these are, yeah. again, Man. just barefoot, something around their, their private parts. Right. And, and that's it, carrying stuff on their, on their heads as well, balancing it. And this one guy, he was the one that didn't run, the sheriff. And I was asking him, translating, you know, why are they running? And that is when it was translated, like, these people haven't seen a Westerner. They, they wow. don't even like the Malagasy locals. So they won't venture off the mountains to go down to the coast. It's like, it's a massive island. Just if they went down, community. Yeah, yeah, even if they saw someone else, they'd be like, and I, I found that that is when the French ruled over 60 years ago, they were brutal. Right. And so the new generation is sort of left with these stories, these horrific stories. Just, they see white person, they're gone. Yeah, Because they don't know things have changed yeah. necessarily. You know? the, the scariest thing you said about that, wow. that Congo walk that you want to, that you, you're thinking of doing is, is the idea. Because I, you know, the idea of animals would be a great experience, and I'd be saying something that. But the idea of yeah. someone else or, or people actually hunting you to eat you yeah. is is like the people are a different board. That, that's like, yeah. and, and it's you know you're in their environment. Yeah, they've got their own weapons yeah. or whatever they're using. And like, I faced that as well. I faced um, where the people have been inhospitable with you. Right, where I came across it was for, I was in the jungle and I was trying to hide from the bandits of Madagascar because the right. bandits are, are pretty brutal. They have better artillery than the the officers than the military because the military spend too much time drinking. So when they come head to head with the bandits, the bandits don't drink. They okay. fuck them up and they steal their weapons. So we um, want to avoid the bandits in case they took it shit. like into my um, rucksack. And, and to me, in terms of they would steal me, they'd shoot my two guides. This is what my guide was scared about. They'd take me and hold me ransom to ask money for the, from the government. So we were in the jungle hiding, but then we got wind that the bandits were also using the jungle to hide from the military. So we're like, fuck, oh, do, we, do, we, do we stay in the jungle and risk the bandits or do we exit the jungle and risk the military? So we exited and we came across this one military officer who was drunk, wasted, and he just looked at me and he was swaying. Aggression on his face was serious and he growled at me. He just went, like he just, you know, hated seeing me right there and then had his gun and the strap was over his shoulder and he was sort of holding it, uh, holding me at gunpoint and the strap kept slipping off his shoulder and he kept catching it uh, almost by the trigger just, with, with the barrel pointing at me, wow. me and Joe, my two other guides, and we were just sort of like avoiding it and... We were, what, what do we do? Do we attempt to like tackle Attack, him yeah, quickly because yeah. he is pretty close and he's pretty drunk, or do we like show him the passport and just go with everything he says? Uh, and next minute, two more officers came over and they were a bit more sober, they were more reasonable. But then a crowd formed from a nearby community, and there was one guy trying to break past the crowd to fight me because he thought I was French and he, they don't like the French. And it was this hecticness of a drunken officer with gun, another <laughs> guy being pushed back, kept pointing at me, shouting stuff, like holding his fist up. And it's like, fucking hell. Mate, your, your like intuition and your gut feeling must have saved you so many times. <laughs> like your, <laughs> so maybe, maybe it's just uh, luck, but there's I mean, been you, many obviously times. There, is a, there is a bit of luck to it, yeah. to it as well. But in terms of like the decisions you've made, yeah. considering like, you know, you're super young and you've done all these crazy yeah. trips, like... Yeah. At any point, something. Yeah, something I think could have I think around. so, right? And I think it's because I started so young. Yeah. Like I didn't even touch base. So let me quickly touch base on some of the early adventures. What got me to do Mongolia in the first place, and before scuba diving and Muay Thai, is I was pretty much traveling around Southeast Asia and Australia, right. um, trekking the Himalayas illegally. You know, on the border of Pakistan with no permit. I was told to go down on my knees if we come across a military officer. Put our um, thumbs behind our ears and say, I think it's Allah Harigbi repeatedly, and they might let us go. So there was this adventure that tied in then with, because it was a shoestring budget, we had barely any money. The first adventure was the Vietnam cycle. So we were like, we're sick of this tourist route, sharing the same photo stories and experiences, mm -hmm. the rest of the other tourists. We didn't want that. We wanted something, we wanted to integrate with the locals more. And we ended up purchasing a bicycle for $10. We had no pump, no puncture repair kit, um, no technology, no map. And, and off we went, no helmet, no nothing, on a bike with no gears or suspension, 1,100 plus miles, hit by mopeds, dodged by lorries, chased by dogs. The last day we cycled 45 hours straight because we were going to be late to cross the border and our visa would have expired and that, you know, you get in trouble wow. then. Um, and it was these sort of adventures and then, and then crossing into Thailand because there was a, a local guy that we saw with a machete who said he'll teach us how to survive in the jungle and if we keep walking across the border, 
again illegally into Myanmar when it was closed down. This was 2010. We can there's a community there that we can sort of spend a bit of time with. It was just this guy on the edge of the jungle, and we we agreed, probably recklessly. You know, we kind of like yeah, a, a, a random Thai guy with a machete inviting yeah. us into the jungle. But we went with it, and it was an amazing experience. We were learning how to survive in the jungle: berries that act as mosquito repellent, how to build rafts to cross river or shelter using natural resources. Mate, so it was crazy. all of this that was fueling the fire when I was settled as a scuba diver. Prepared and I was kind of like, this is a great two years settling as a scuba diver, Muay Thai fighter, but that's incredible, I'm missing yeah. the earlier, like how can I pursue this as a career? And that's what sort of brought me It's me like scared of like getting in a taxi in Turkey and he's like done all these like <laughs> yellow... People, people can be dodging, yeah. aren't they? People are the scariest it, on my no, journeys. The, uh, that's <laughs> the, the scariest we had, we crossed the Romanian-Serbian border at three o'clock in the morning. Fucking and I said, like, let, let's do it when we're, you know, during <laughs> yeah. light. I said, please, let's just leave early. We're all being lazy and we got up late and we, we crossed the, you know, from Romania in Serbia. And there was some really, like, I'll be honest, like some pretty it was a scary, moment, yeah. scary people I there. Bet. Like, I bet. Waiting for us to yeah. come across. I loved it. I was, I was joking in the back and he was going, Max, what are you doing? Stop, stop. Yeah. <laughs> and they were really, they, like they were really God. specific, yeah. weren't they? They were like, if you've got yeah. any cannabis... You're done. They said you're going wow. straight to yeah. Serbian prison. Straight to Serbian prison. And they took everything out of the car, all of the other... Yeah. The, the, yeah, Checked everything. So what was that? Did you just have to stay off the radar and not come across? Or would they not check your passport and they see? They checked everything. Yeah, we got through and we carried on driving. But that's like the worst sort of thing we've come up against, right? So we're trying to get to the next restaurant. Seriously, that's what it is. Trying to find the five-star hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why Google Maps? Mate, I'm going to throw this out there. Don't hold it to me, but I'd love to like go on a, a oh, little adventure a with you man. or something that's not going to kill me let's do it but I'll, I'll shake your hand and I'll do that like yeah. when, when, when you're I'm going to keep in contact whenever you're doing these things sure. I'm going to just go yeah. right Ash I'm always I might just jump on one of these ones I would, yeah, it might be it. no 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 and Is then it? yes to like you know are you looking at would you look at doing water or <clears> snow <throat> yeah I think so because well with the Yangtze one was the river the Madagascar was jungle and the Mongolia was desert so the only one that I've really missed is is polar I guess but then not only that, is I've sort of gotten a name for myself for hiking and, and surviving, but that's not how it started. It started through sort of martial arts, through yeah. scuba diving, through more extreme sports. You know, I've got my skydiving license, my paramotoring license, all of it. Okay. And I want to put together a trip, more sort of land, air and sea, you know, proper sort of action man style, covering the length of a, a country via land, air, and sea. Okay. It's like a survival um, triathlon. It would be like a survival triathlon. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, it would be similar to that. You've got yeah, the name, by, Yeah, there jump out of a helicopter to start the start the trip. Amazing. Um, get the paramotor and then just fly sort of, you know, towards the foot of a mountain range. You can hike the mountain peak and then do something off that. You scuba dive. It could be South Africa with the, with the sardine migration, you know, or free dive, whatever it might be, along a certain distance. Oh, that'd and be I amazing. think all of these hooked in together would be like yeah I want to ask just, Ash like you've obviously done all these amazing uh, experience, had all these ex amazing experiences when you come back to normality and you hear about the army and, and people in the army that come back and they suffer from PTSD mm. do, do you have any of those like nightmares and, and things that sort of wake you up yeah. pop, you know cold sweats in the middle of the night to then you know freak you out when you are back in, in, in a normal sort of mm. lifestyle and then what makes you go back into thinking, right, okay, I want to jump back in again. Yeah. You know, that's my normal, not, yeah. not this normal. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. That is a great I don't get asked that much at all. Um, because that's I'll one joke. thing my... That's, that's, that's really rare for him, just so you know. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's probably the best question he's ever asked in about 25 episodes. <laughs> I'm intrigued to know. Yeah. Don't listen to him. Yeah. He talks to wind up. Sorry. Aren't <laughs> <laughs> you just about the fucking moment? Like we, we, he was going to go. Just, what, you just, and me and James's eyes just went right over <laughs> like that. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, my, my parents mentioned it was my mum actually after the Yangtze trip. She came back and she just noticed that my, my character wasn't dampened in any way. It's like I still hold that enthusiastic energy mm -hmm. that I had at age 19. And so I, it's never really hit me. I've never really um, had PTSD. I, I don't know why, because I have faced some, you know, almost lost my life, seen some horrific things. Mm -hmm. But then I think when I come back from an expedition, I, 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 maybe it's a bad thing, but I focus so much more on the positives mm. than the negatives. Not to say I didn't learn from the negatives, because I did, but... 
it's because of the positives that I remember that makes me want to pursue another adventure. It's it got to be the you, you leave all the, um, the, the, the kind of bad energy out there. Yeah. You know, and yeah. yeah. PTSD back. from the army is like when you're sort of sometimes being pushed into something you don't want. Right? Yeah. You're going yeah. like full willingly, yeah. like wanting to go into this. Yeah. Yeah. Like, on, the, on the sort of side of like Jay's question, would you say that there's like, would you say when you're going into it, you're running away from anything? Um, no, but I have had that before as well. Yeah, yeah. had if, that. If you've got something mad going in, like say, Jay, you've got something going on in your head, I've got something going on in my head. Could you imagine running into that? You're not yeah. going to be thinking yeah. about all the, the worries that you'd normally have. Yeah, mm, yeah for sure. Um, and no, I think it started because even how it begun, I wasn't really looking into it as a career and I wasn't even looking into ancient sort of explorers, none of that. It, I think it happened organically to get off the beaten track and to save money. And then I found this sort of niche and this passion, really sort of enjoyed it. Yes, faced a lot of adversity, but that's how I also visualize, I guess. So that's what I was going to say. It's the mental preparation. Some people don't know what they're mentally getting prepared. If they're told to go here, go that, you know, mm -hmm. order to do something, they don't have enough time to really prepare. And I know that a lot of people visualize, but... I bet you nine times out of 10, most people visualize the highs and, you know, waving the flag or crossing the finish line. Whereas I'll flip that, I'll be the total opposite. I'll, I'll visualize every single bad thing that can possibly go wrong. Mm -hmm. Even when I'm training physically, I'm, I'm overplaying things, wolves, dehydration, bears, sand blizzards, isolation. And I'm building them up to be so extreme in my head that if one of those incidents were to happen on an expedition- You're ready. I'm, prepared, I'm set. Yeah. I can yeah. just tackle it. It's not a case of it, it happened by surprise and now I'm, I'm panicked or yeah. shocked yeah. and then I, I slip into the flight instead of fight. It comes as like, okay, I've got malaria, but I did know that this was a possibility with Madagascar and now I've got to overcome and it, it. And that's the healthy thing. It's, it's like acceptance of, of what could happen. Yeah. And, that's, yeah. yeah. and it also helps you then to, to plan because a lot of people think it's maybe daredevilish risk in my life. But if there was a risk element to it in terms of certain death or 50-50, I wouldn't do it. I would because it is very meticulous attention to detail, understanding and research, and why no one's attempted it before, or where they failed. Why did they fail? How can I? How yeah. can I do better? Because I remember Joe Dispenza. I was listening to a video of his, mm. and he said that if you put yourself through something mentally, yeah, your your brain sometimes cannot differentiate between that and the actual experience. Mm. So if you're viscerally putting your brain into, okay, this is what it's going to. This is what. 400 days of isolation is going to feel like yeah. and you prepare yourself then when it comes you've already been there once yeah. which is going to be a lot easier the next time Yeah. so how do you sort of do that is that before you go to bed at night you're just really thinking about what this feels like yeah I think it's every day I think it's every day before an adventure in training camp also with the, the mapping one thing that got to me most was when people were saying that it's impossible to cross Mongolia that really hit me because I was so inexperienced and never been there that what I did, I went to the Royal Geographic Society with my logistics manager and I actually broke it down and I said, right, okay, if there's an impossible day, which one of these days is the day that I fail? Which one is the most dangerous day? Right. And we actually looked at every single day, looking at 15 to 20 miles across this map, mountains, desert, you name it, and every day was achievable. And so when I broke it down like that, mm -hmm. all as I had to then do then was visualize the challenges that I will face. And I was saying, if there's going to be wolves, expect to be attacked. If there's going to be blizzards, expect them to be the biggest and the baddest. At 5 a.m. whilst I'm flipping my tractor tire in my back garden and beating it with a sledgehammer, I was just really, really preparing for the war. Picturing I was scared. It, visualizing I, it. Yeah, yeah, I scared yeah. the shit out of myself that I would have nightmares before I set off yeah. for the journey, you know? There's yeah. a really good way to think about that because like, if you went, if you went now in your bed at night tonight yeah. and you thought about dying, you would cause all these different things going on in your body. If you thought about being in a, an aeroplane crash, yeah. like you're in the comfort of, of your own home, your yeah. mind knows that there's no way that you're going to be dying in an aeroplane tonight, yeah. but you can still put that in your brain. Yeah. And you can still send those signals, you can exactly. create those emotions, you can create those things. So. And then if there's anything less than that, it's like, wow. Yeah. So if you're expecting sort of dehydration, but in your mind, when you were training, it felt a lot worse because you just put the worst on yourself. And now, yes, you're suffering, but yeah. it doesn't as feel as bad as what I thought it would feel like. Yeah. Just low expectations. Of, oh, yeah. yeah. And yeah. the benefits of, of it, which I'm going to speak for you, but surely, you know, the two main benefits I can see is lit, lit on your face is you're traveling the world and the appreciation of life that you have yeah. for when you do come back is like... For sure. It, yeah. It's cloud nine all the time. Yeah. Because some people have highs and lows. Mm. You know, it's cloud nine all the time because yeah. you're just like, yeah. this is gold. Yeah. This, is, this is heaven compared to what I've been through. Yes. It's incredible, man. Yeah. How do you find time for like just, you know, the normal things that, you know, men need, like just love? 
companionship, yeah. sex, whatever, you know, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. just the normal things. Like, do, you've, do you have to squeeze that in, in the time that you're, you know, back in... Back home. Yeah, yes. I, when I was started traveling age 19, I was very much on the travel route. So there was plenty of all of that. <laughs> but then I did, I've got with the, I've got a girlfriend now, two and a half year long relationship. Nice. Um, but she wasn't there until about six months after the Yangtze trip. So I've never done a big time trip in a relationship. But the most recent one where I was away for four and a half months following the Great Wall, that was 21,000 kilometers, not by walking. Um, I think that was maybe the hardest whereby I've got someone back here that I love mm-hmm. and I'm away, you know, in China mm-hmm. for four and a half months. Um, but again, you know, you come back and you appreciate everything so much more and you appreciate her so much more. Especially and the conveniences this. and comfort and ease of everything, you know? Right. Right. Especially with the stress that she's probably going through yeah. as well. Yeah. And, she, yeah, and she's very reasonable. She knows that this is my career, you know, there is going to be times and she's very sort of ambitious, driven herself. Mm-hmm. He's built. He's built it into like it's the same as like what I do with filming. He's built it into his lifestyle now. He yeah. loves the traveling. He loves this. Like it's yeah. all built into. So his, his enjoyment is everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, you're right. But I've yeah. got that support, which is the the main thing, isn't it? I think when you're yeah. away yeah. for yeah. yeah, that's it. So, Ash, uh, that's amazing. Incredible story. Honestly, no, but it's, it's really like blown my mind with yeah. lots of things you've said. I've it's got really, really so cool. many more stories. We're yeah. going to have to do a, a take two. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. And maybe we'll do a little trip if possible. Like, Man, like yeah. We should, we should sure. do a trip and then come back and do a follow-up. For yeah, that would be amazing. Episode. That would be really yeah. cool. That would be really we cool. Should. When are you looking to do the, the Congo uh, river? I, you know what? Oh, it, unless sort of discovery comes with a multi-million dollar budget, yeah. I probably won't do that until yeah. I'm kind of like okay, it's worth the risk. Because mm-hmm. a lot of these, especially in Mongolia, came back, didn't earn much money at all. It's taken me a while to get where I am now. So that if I was to do the Congo, it would need to be... A lot of planning, man. A lot of funding. Nugget, you know? There's a lot of things that got to go into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it, actually, it's really amazing to hear, man. I'm, I'm, I'm like genuinely, you know, obviously w- yeah. uh, when you listen to a story, you're putting yourself there and I'm just thinking how amazing it would be. So yeah. Yeah. thanks for sharing yeah. those stories. Thank you for having yeah. me. Thank you so much. Part two. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Ash Dykes. Thank you, man. Cheers, Thank mate. You. Cheers.